So this morning, if you would, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. This morning and over the next uh, few weeks, we will look uh, at and explore the four Holy Spirit-born responses for the church, especially as we look at the Holy Spirit's uh, work in us in an age uh, of chaos. Uh, Our text is going to be driven primarily from Acts 2.42. And so we're going to begin by reading the text and then praying for the Spirit to reveal uh, to us the truth of God's Word. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct our time in your word, that you, Lord, would convince us of uh, the essential things that the individual Christian and that us as a body, church, collectively uh, are to be about in a world of chaos. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pose a question for us to contemplate this morning, and I want us to contemplate this over the next few weeks as well, is have you been born of the Spirit? Have you been born of the Spirit of God? And I ask this because I want to ask another question, that if it be true that you have been born of the Spirit of God, are you living in the world with a single-minded, spirit-filled purpose. My prayer for us as a church body in the coming years is that we would become narrowly focused. I know it's kind of weird to say because the world probably looks at us as Christians and say you guys are narrow-minded. What I hope for you to become this year is narrow-minded. Narrow-minded, narrow-hearted, narrow-spirited, driven, focused, centered on, on, on the essential things, on the things that the Spirit of God... Ha- See, the thing is, when we think about our, our faith, sometimes we, 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 we think about imperatives like, do this, don't do that, do this. No, there's this indicative. This is who... The Holy Spirit of God has made you to be because of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Amen? So what I, what I want us to get in the coming years is that we would be narrowly focused in on who you are in Christ Jesus by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, because that has already been accomplished in you and is being accomplished in us as we live this life in this world of weirdness and chaos and and lack of understanding and knowledge and all those things. So again, this would be my admonishment. Be narrow-minded and narrow-hearted by the Spirit of God this year. And my big question, which will encompass this whole thing over the next few weeks, 
is to what then are you devoted? What are you devoted to? See, I'm talking about this narrow-minded focus, this narrow-minded aim, this narrow-hearted love, this narrow uh, uh, um, submission to what the Holy Spirit of God is doing in your lives. What, what are you devoted to? Where and what do you focus your mental and physical energy upon? Do the circumstances of your life and the chaos of societal rejection of God's truth the societal rejection of God's people, uh, do these things consume and confuse your devotion? I think they often get in the way of our devotion, don't they? They confuse us a little bit. Because there are things that are morally wrong in the world, and we stand against those things, right? But our stand against these morally wrong things sometimes will cause us to move away from the focus and the purpose and the energy and the effort that God would want us, his people, to be engaged in. I know that Joe talked a lot about this from the Old Testament uh, in the last few weeks, and um, I'm going to emphasize a lot of the same things uh, this morning from uh, this uh, text this morning. Our devotion, the purpose of God. Do we do we know the 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 purpose of God, um, the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit in our life as an individual Christian? And are we focused in on the purpose of the Holy Spirit of God as a church member, as a local church member, and what God would do in us? So first, I want to define. Uh, something for us this morning. I want to define devotion, steadfastness, or continued commitment. And I want to start with what Acts 2 uh, uses in the Greek here, proskaterio. The idea of this word proskaterio, this devotion, continuing steadfastly, is to constantly attend, assiduously, all of our exercises toward one thing. And sort of on a side to that definition is this instantaneously diligent. Think about that. Instantaneously diligent. As I, as I pondered this definition, you know, to think about constantly attending assiduously to all the exercises of my life toward one thing. I get that. I get that desire, right? And I know my weakness and my failure and all of those things. But the thing I think that, that will move us forward is this instantaneous diligence. I think that's what the scripture calls us to when he talks about devoted. Instantaneously diligent. It becomes, it comes out of who we are. It comes out of the Holy Spirit having worked in us to become instantly dil diligent, uh, assiduously using every facet of our lives and exercise to one end. So I could sum this in a word, is that the people of God born of the Spirit respond and live in the world narrow-mindedly devoted to four things. These four things are individually committed to, 
and are manifested in the local church communally as a group. The devoted Christian and church members devoted these four things, not by the deeds of their flesh, not by the will of man, but because they are born of the Spirit of God who has saved them. These four things become the Christian's narrowly focused purpose in a Christ-rejecting sinful world. How do we respond to a chaotic, Christ-rejecting, sinful, untruthful, immoral world as a Christian? Well, you've been born of the Spirit, and therefore it is quite different, friends. Therefore it is quite different. And there is in here, I believe, a description and a prescription, which is devotion is the answer, simply put, devotion. But here are these four things that narrowly uh, focused the purpose, the purpose of Christ in us. The spirit-born believer is devoted, committed, steadfast in the truth of the apostles' doctrine. That is the scripture. The transformed, purchased person of God is devoted, committed steadfastly in fellowship with believers and specifically in fellowship with other devoted believers in their local context, in their local church. The born-again, regenerated person is devoted, committed steadfastly, unwaveringly to purging sin in their own lives individually and is just as committed to removing residual sin from among those that are manifested in their local church together in which they find fellowship. Again, it doesn't mean pointing out other people's sin and trying to point those things out and saying, I'm better than you or you're worse than I am or you have this problem. No, it means lovingly working together to purge sin in our lives, individually and as a team, as a, as a, as a unit, as one body. Because you know, sometimes we think that our own sin, our own individual residual heart sin that is left over has no effect on each other, but it really does. We might be way unaware that, you know, we think our sin is just between us and God and the things that we've done, and then we gather together and we're unloving, unkind, unhelpful, discouraging, or just by the plain fact of guilt-ridden stuff in our lives, we put the ones we love at a distance. Because if they knew, if they knew my heart battle, if they knew my sinful struggle, they certainly wouldn't like me. And if I knew theirs, maybe I wouldn't like them either. Right? Well, the commitment is to purging that sin from our lives. And then finally, the Christian who is empowered by the life-giving Holy Spirit of God is uncompromisingly devoted to dependence upon God. And as a believer and as a member of the local church, our purpose this morning, we are going to look at the individual Christian and the corporate local church's constant attendance to the exercise and the pursuit of the first one, truth, the Apostles' Doctrine. So over the next four weeks, we are going to look at the Spirit Mormon Believer's devotion to the Apostles' Doctrine this week. Next week, we will look at the transformed uh, person of God's devoted uh, commitment to fellowship. Then 
the next week we will look at our a more focused commitment and devotion to purging sin in our lives personally and corporately. And then uh, in the final week, we will look at a unwavering commitment and devotion to being dependent upon God the Father. So let us turn backwards just a bit to Acts chapter 1. And I want to look at um, verses 6 through 11 with you. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here we are. We find ourselves. Let's find ourselves in a court of law. So you're in a court of law. You've been called to be a witness. What is the expectation of a witness in a court of law? A witness's duty is to tell the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. Well, the world and its leaders and every human institution has rejected God and thereby rejected any notion that there is any objective truth in the world. But this, of course, is not unique to our day, is it? Is this unique to our day? Well, we need to look back and just listen to what Pilate said to Jesus. In John chapter 18, verse 37 Jesus says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's a wholesale rejection of any idea that there is such thing as truth. Pilate had a wholesale rejection of the truth. Um, Is that similar to where we are living at today? There's a wholesale rejection of the truth. In Acts chapter 1, the disciples, they desired to know the seasons and the sign of kingdom restoration. And I started thinking about the things that we look at and how wrong the world is and all the moral issues, the yuckiness, the the fact that we can't find truth on TV and the news, and we we can't find truth anywhere, it seems, you know, in the world where we know just this is how we're going to navigate, right? But they wanted to know this idea, and and we seem to want to know it too, right? Just what is the truth, and how can I live according to it? Well, in the world, we're not going to find the truth. But Jesus says, To them, basically, as they ask this question, will you now at this time restore the kingdom? Jesus says, well, there are some things, I'm paraphrasing him, there are some things that belong to the Father and there are some things that belong to you. 
And in Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed to us belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of His law. So Jesus says, you will receive power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the power of the Spirit of truth that you may bear an accurate witness to Jesus Christ. I love that. That's a narrow-minded focus, friends. Is that not a narrow... That is our narrow-minded, narrow-hearted, spirit-filled focus. To tell the truth about Jesus Christ. The end. We could go home now. Because that's, that's, your, that's your job. That's my job. That, that, that is all of us collectively who have been born of the Spirit of God is this. I bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ and His atoning death for my sin. The end. Time to go home, right? Well, you will receive power and that power is by the Spirit of truth. It is born in us because of Jesus Christ's atoning death. As, as Jesus is ascending to heaven, right? Jesus is here in this text ascending to heaven, and He has left with them the Holy Spirit of truth. And He says, the Spirit of truth is coming, and you will be born, enabled, empowered to tell the truth about me at home, down the road, and in the next regions and throughout the world, you will be empowered by the Spirit. That is what God has done in the believer. The Christian witness is to be narrowly focused on that, on telling the truth about Jesus. The individual Christian and the local church's purpose in the world are to have been born again to receive, to know, and to deliver the truth to the world concerning God's Christ. This is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. As Christians in this world today, we become mired in what we might think might be true based on circumstances, based on the world system. Uh, you know what I, I noticed as I was raising my children and, and, and uh, not so much my oldest, but the next ones as they've come up, it used to be that, you know, people would say, I think I understand this. But based on how society is, their responses are more like, I feel. And they're trying to convey to me truth. I feel like it's this, this, and that. I feel like it? Do you know it? I, I feel a lot of things, and I'm wrong about them. Uh, you know, but what do I know? What do I know? What can we boldly say? I know this is the truth. The mantra of the church sometimes it, it infiltrates to the church too, doesn't it? In the church, I think, I feel, I'd like to understand my God as I'd like to. Well, you could like to all you want to, but what does the scripture say? What does the word of truth say to you? What does the spirit born in you reveal to you about the truth of the scripture? It, that's the truth, friends. The mantra ought to be this. I 
bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. I know Him. I remember at uh, Multnomah, we were studying the Scriptures, and they had all of these uh, wanting to, to get students to decide to say what, uh, why they believed the Scriptures. Uh, why did they believe what they believed about the Scriptures? And there were, you know, good arguments, biblical arguments, good theological discussions, and uh, finally it got to my turn, and it was in the end of this discussion, and I said to the professor, I said, well, sir, you know, I, I know all of those things that we've talked about, but here's what I have come to understand, is that on the pages of the Scriptures, I met a person. I met the person of Jesus Christ, and I know the truth about Him. I know Him, and He knows me. That ought to be the aim of the church and the individual Christian is that I know Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, He is the truth. And because Jesus Christ is the truth and the Spirit has been born in me, I am now of the truth. Let me tell you, world, what can be known about Jesus. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he writes, For I decided to do nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, Paul was a very learned theologian, a very uh, disciplined, um, religious man, and he summed everything up with, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The truth had penetrated the man to every level of his being, hadn't it? C.H. Spurgeon writes this, Scripture alone is absolute truth, essential truth, authoritative truth, undiluted truth, eternal, everlasting truth. If we would only pursue knowledge of the Scripture in them, we would understand the truth about God, wouldn't we? And thus, if we understood, if we understand nothing, I, I'm becoming dumber the older I get. You know what I mean? Like, uh, the more I thought I once knew, I, I, I don't know much. But what I will say is this, is that as I have come to understand who God is in the Scriptures, and if that is the only thing I know, I am in a great position compared to everyone else. I'm in a pretty good spot if I know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I know the truth of God. God has given us a clear revelation of who He is. Thanks be to God. In Psalm 12, verse 6, it says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Psalm 19 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. In the fear, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And in 2 Timothy, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, 
equipped for every good work. See, the Christian and the individual uh, local church body responds to the system of the world and their rejection of this proscatario, the rejection of devotion, the rejection of constantly attending all of their exercises, their effort, their energy, and their resources towards the truth. The church responds by making an instantaneously diligent effort to pursue the truth. So now, questions. Why? Why? Well, because truth is divine. All truth originates with God. Truth does not come from this world. Truth comes from above. And God the Son is truth. God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth. All three persons of the Trinity, they think, speak, and act the truth. The truth, what is it? It is the self-revelation of God's own being. God has disclosed to us His nature, His mind, and His will in the Scriptures. Truth is absolute. When I say that truth is absolute, it means that it makes distinctions between what is and what is not. It makes distinctions. So when we tell the truth, of course, you're going to be hated for that sometimes, right? When you tell the truth, it's because the truth makes distinctions about what is in reality true or right or the way it just is and those which are not. The truth is objective, meaning that the truth is propositional. That is, the truth speaks specific words that have specific, distinct meanings that the scriptures are clear on. It speaks specific words that have distinct meanings. The truth is singular. There again comes our narrow-mindedness, right? Our narrow-heartedness. The truth is singular because all truth is one system of reality as revealed by God. Truth is singular. It's part of one system. There's nothing in God that isn't true, right? And truth is immutable. Truth is never changing. See, we watch the news and the truth uh, seems to be dependent upon trends. it, It tends to be like on societal norms or brand new definitions. But truth is not dependent upon trends, societal norms, or definitions. Truth is not changing. Truth is immutable because the truth belongs to God and is in Him and He is never changing. He is truth. The truth is always up to date. The truth will never go out of style. It is always current. And Isaiah 40 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The word of God, the truth, is always up to date. The truth makes demands, doesn't it? The truth makes demands because the truth is authoritative. Because what God has spoken in His word is. It just, what is spoken in His word is. It it is reality. That is the way that it is. And therefore, it has ultimate authority and it makes demands upon us. 
The truth is powerful. The truth cuts and convicts. The truth cuts beyond the bone and gets to the heart of the matter. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Truth is determinative. That is, you, me, our relationship to the truth charts the course of our life. Your relationship, my relationship to the truth of God's word will chart the course of your life. It's determinative. We see rejection of the truth daily in the world. But you know what? More surprisingly, don't we see rejection of the truth among those who are in the church? See rejection there. And I know that there's a lot going on outside of us. There's a lot of things to be up in arms about. But as we were praying this morning, and I was talking with Melissa about Second um, Chronicles 7, and noticing that, you know, when, when God writes this to them and He talks about healing the land, you know, He talks to His people. It is if my people would repent, pray, my people. It begins with us. It's an internal thing. Are we devoted, committed to the truth? Individually, are you committed to the pursuit of truth? And I'm hoping that you have an unending, narrow, focused, dogged determination to understand the truth. Corporately, are we devoted as a church to gather under the same word each Lord's Day, that the Spring Hill Church would be collectively and instantly grounded in the truth. And many of the reasons why our liturgy looks the way it does is because of that fact, is being in God's Word at the same time with the same people week in and week out as, as the Lord reveals that truth to us, as we become grounded in the truth individually, but corporately grounded in the truth. And that is the reason why, as a church, I believe that the church should read the Bible, and that is in the corporate setting, that the church should pray the Bible, that the church should sing the Bible, so that the Spirit-empowered church will collectively live in the truth of the Bible. So, as we conclude, uh, again, let us pray for the Lord's work in us. We'll take a moment of silence. And Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would empower us to be narrowly focused in on the truth, that we would be those who pursue the truth individually, that we would pursue uh, the truth as a, as a unit, as, as a corporate uh, entity, as the church that meets and gathers here, that we would be those devoted to the truth, committed to the truth, steadfastly, instantaneously looking to the truth. Lord, I pray that you would convince us that by your Holy Spirit, you have empowered us to be witnesses to the truth of Jesus Christ that that would be our focus, that would be our aim. 
And Lord, we are dependent upon you uh, to work that in us. But we trust that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. So Lord, uh, have your way in us in Jesus' name. Amen.